John chapter 13, if you would, take your text over there, your Bible, and turn to that text this morning, John chapter 13. And uh, we, we have been in the Gospel of John, for those of you that are visiting with us this morning. I've been preaching through the Gospel of John now for uh, well, well over a year, and we've made it to John chapter 13. Now you say, Pastor, there's, there's a little bit left in John chapter 12. Well, I'm going to get to that in a couple weeks. We're not going to leave that out. That's actually a a wonderful, there's nothing we should leave out, but that's a wonderful text in John 12. Just the, the last part where many uh, could not figure out who Jesus is. They, some did not believe, but then there was a few that, that did believe. And uh, Jesus leaves us with some instruction in John chapter 12. If you get this in your mind, John chapter 1 to John chapter 12 has been the life for the most part. Three and a half years of Jesus' ministry has been revealed in John chapter 12 all the way back to John chapter 1. Well, here in John chapter 13 through about John chapter 19, we see only one day. One day is recorded in all these chapters, and we're going to preach through one day in the next months ahead. Just one day, so keep that in mind. John slows down the story way back. He's speeding up through these years, but he slows it down beginning in verse number 1 of John chapter 13. That's where we arrive today. We arrive to this dramatic slow motion of a story leading up to the cross of Jesus Christ. And actually it's a time of a lot of drama because it's, there's life-changing action in this story. And the disciples are still, they have still yet to get it. I mean, they're still... In John 12, they're still uh, reeling from all that had happened. They're still wondering, is this the Messiah? Is this the, the, the king? What's he, what's he come to do? They're still wondering about that. If you, if you don't believe me, turn over to Matthew chapter number 20. Hold your place in John 13, but turn with me to Matthew chapter uh, 20. And I want to show you a little instance, and this will let you peek into... Uh, what these disciples were like. John, uh, Matthew chapter 20, and look with me in verse number 20. Now again, this is the uh, parable of the laborers Jesus begins. Then verse 17, he, he starts to foretell his own passion and resurrection. And verse number 20, that's when another story takes place of, of Matthew 20. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children. Zebedee was a very wealthy man. He had two sons by the name of James and John. They were called the sons of thunder. And so they, they come to Jesus, the mother does, of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. Verse 21. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? Jesus said this to her. What do you want? She said unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit the one on the right hand and the other on the left in thy kingdom. So this mother comes to Jesus and says, Hey, Jesus, I know you're headed to the cross, but, but, but these disciples, my sons, James and John, they, they, they're good boys and they're, 
They're, they're really, I mean, just really good boys. And just think about this for a minute. What if, what if uh, you men in here, what if your mama, your sweet little mother, grabbed you by the hand tomorrow, marched you into the, vice, uh, the, the president of your company's office tomorrow and, and said, hey, my son is a good boy, and uh, why don't you make him the vice president so he can sit on your right hand or sit on your left hand and make all the decisions? Well, uh, my mother loves me. I mean, she does. And matter of fact, I might could convince my mother uh, because she has stopped seeing anything wrong in me a long time ago, right? Uh, all mamas see just the positive. And so I believe that's actually the case in Matthew chapter 20. Jesus, will you seat these two fine boys on the left hand and the right hand? You say, Pastor, how did the disciples take that? Well, look at verse number 24 of that same text. And when the, the ten, so there was twelve disciples, two of them standing before Jesus, wanting one on the left and one on the right. When the other ten heard it, they were moved with indignation. What's that mean? They were ticked off. They were mad. And then it says, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren, not against the mother. You say, Pastor, what do you believe happened? I believe the two sons got their mother involved and said, Hey, sweet mama, won't you go to Jesus and actually try to convince him to make us the top dogs. And by the way, their nickname was the Sons of Thunder. These Sons of Thunder got their sweet little mother involved, right? Isn't that amazing? Maybe not as tough as we think they are. Now go with me to John chapter 13. They were wanting prestige. That's the disciples. They were wanting preeminence. I mean, they were wanting to get on the right hand. That is not what Jesus came for. Jesus did not come to have prestige. Jesus did not come to make a reputation for Himself. Jesus did not come to be a star in the community. Matter of fact, Philippians actually says that Jesus came in verse number 5. He said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then he said, uh, uh, who being in the form of God, thought it not by robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. What did he do? He took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men, being found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself. Jesus did not come to make himself of a reputation, to come and be some rock star, to come and be a celebrity. Jesus came to humble himself. So the lesson these disciples needed was a lesson in humility. They were so unready for this. They were so unready for the task. And, and really in dramatic action, it's time to get their attention. And this is exactly what John 13 is. It is an, an attention-grabbing story that I need your attention for just a few minutes about. I want to preach with God's help this morning on this. A blessed pair of dirty feet. A blessed pair of dirty feet. Let's begin in verse number 1 of John 13. The Bible says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour was come, that He should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved His own which were in the world, He loved them unto the end. I love that phrase. He loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands, and that He was come from God and went to God, He riseth up from supper, He laid aside His garments, He took a towel and girded himself and that he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded let's pray Heavenly Father we thank you for 
your love, your mercy, your grace. We thank you for the word of God and the text that I'm about to preach. I pray that you'll help me. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Here in our text, we see first the context of this story. The context is found in verses 1 and 2. This was a time of the Passover. There's 12 disciples that are present. Now, I have to stop here because these verses convict, they, they convict me because look at verse number 2. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to what? Betray him. So get this. At the supper time, they're all sitting around this table. They're, they're actually on the uh, ground as they would in, in these Jewish times. They did not sit at a, a table and chairs like we do. A table would have been a whole lot lower and they would have been propped up by their elbow and their feet kind of sideways. And they all would have just been fellowshipping and, and, and maybe breaking bread and talking and laughing. And these disciples who journeyed with Jesus, they were very close to Jesus as we've seen through the other gospels. They journeyed with Him. They saw His miracles. They, they were actually given apostolic power to heal and, and to cast out devils and to do different things. And these disciples were a special group of men who journeyed everywhere with Jesus. But one of them is a traitor. One of them is a backstabber. Now we stop here and sometimes we overlook verses 1 and 2 and we, we don't really think about it uh, that much. But you understand this. This man, Judas Iscariot, who is mentioned in verse number 2, every time Judas is mentioned, it always is amazing to me that his dad is mentioned. Simon's son. Not Simon Peter, but Simon's son. That, that goes to show that we children can give our parents a bad name. Simon's son's always associated with a traitor. And, and, and I want to show you what I'm getting at. Look at verses 18. Just skip down to verse 18 and we'll go back. Here's what Jesus said. I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the Scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread within me hath lifted up his heel against me. So Jesus is about to drop a bomb on them. Now I tell you before it come, that when it come to pass, ye may believe that I am He. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that receiveth whomsoever I send, receiveth me. And he that receiveth me, receiveth him that sent me. When Jesus had thus said, He was troubled in His spirit, and testified and said, Verily, verily, listen to this, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. He's speaking of, of course, Judas Iscariot. Now that's in a later discussion that we'll talk about Judas Iscariot on down the road in another sermon. But think about this for a second, church. Jesus is about to wash the feet of a betrayer. How do you wash the feet of someone who stabs you in the back? Now I know you, you, you may would treat them roughly. I know what I would do. I'd get the hottest water I could find. I'd scald his feet. And then while I'm trying to put his foot into that water, I'd bend his toe back. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I do that? I was just trying to... No, I would try to give pain to this betrayer. And you know you'd do the same. Don't look at me all spiritual. You know you would. And besides, we would never wash the feet of someone who only responded by giving us a swift kick in return. I mean, someone who just basically kissed the cheek of Jesus and said, this is he who 
did all the miracles. This is the one that you need to crucify. This is Jesus. And Jesus is about to go back. Now I want you to pick back up with me in verse number 3. The Bible says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands and that He was come from God and went to God. Now, hold on just a second. John basically gives in this verse a, I guess we miss it sometimes, but he kind of gives a resume. He lays it out in verse number 3 of Jesus. Look at verse 4. And he riseth up from supper, he laid aside his garments and took a towel and he girded himself. Now I believe the reason that Jesus, uh, that John rather gives Jesus' resume here is because he wants to remind the reader that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. He lays it out, he says, hey, uh, you, you understand that this God, that, that the God of the universe, the creator of the world, is about to wash the dirty feet of his disciples. Let me illustrate this a little clearer for you. When my son was in the first grade, I know he hates illustrations about himself. This is the best I could do, and it's a good one. And let me just put a disclaimer out there. I want to apologize for any future Sunday school teachers or any past Sunday school teachers for what you might have heard from my children about us because we have no control over their little mouth at times. It's like my daughter Peyton when she was four years old, I believe it was, in the Awana program at our other church in North Carolina. And the teacher got up and said, hey, can we take prayer requests? Lots of kids in there, workers in there. And uh, my little Peyton, who's now 15 years old, uh, she said, uh, pray for my daddy, he beats my mommy. <laughs> now, how do you wonder how that's going to go over? Pray for my daddy. He beats my mom. And all of you know that is not true. It's usually the other way around. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Wouldn't dare. So to, to give you the story of how I would beat my wife, though please, online, please do not to, to take that part out if you can. So my, I hate to be tickled, all right? I hate tickling. I hate it. Like Rebecca knows that the one thing to annoy or the one thing to get me back for some stupid comment would be for her to tickle me. And so there's been times where she's tried to tickle me and she would, I would get up and run through the house and she would chase me through the house. And one time, one particular time in, in Plantation Ridge where we used to live, uh, I was rounding the corner and I took a kitchen chair and just threw it behind me. Well, when she came around the corner, she plowed into the kitchen chair, flipped over. Into, you say, Pastor, that's terrible. I know. I wasn't thinking, and I, 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 I told you I hated to be tickled. I know it was terrible. She cart rolled into the kitchen, and, and I went over there and looked, and she was still breathing. I was like, glory to God. Oh, man. Listen, she... It was it, um, it was bad. So then uh, we, we finally, she was okay and all. So my daughter watched that scene unfold. She then goes and tells the Awana teacher that daddy beats his mother, or his wife rather. And that, to me, that is, uh, that is disturbing if that's the case. And so that is not true. Uh, and I had to apologize to a bunch of Awana workers. And I had to apologize to that Awana worker who thought... Uh, that was very comical and funny. 
Going back to my son, my son one night or one day, one Sunday morning, probably in the first grade, a new Sunday school teacher, uh, they were used to uh, keeping the kids, as we sometimes do, keep the kids down at another building until the parents come and pick the kids up. And so my son one day, a uh, new teacher, thought he was going to maybe get by that and take off running, him and some friends. And so uh, he was about to bolt out of the classroom, and the teacher stopped him and said, where do you think you're going? Well, I want to go. I'm going to run to my mom and dad. Oh, no, you're not. And here's what he said with his hands on his hip. Do you know who my daddy is? I'm talking about to a brand new teacher. And the teacher very wisely said, I don't care who your daddy is. And the teacher then eventually came to me and said, hey, here's what, uh, she wasn't telling on him, but she was just telling me she thought it was funny. And I had to, again, apologize for uh, my kids' behavior. So I want to just give that little disclaimer out there for those of you. But think about this. He, uh, John in in verse 3 kind of lays out the, don't you know who Jesus is? I mean, don't you know that He's the God of the universe and He's about to do something that we will preach about for centuries and centuries and centuries. The God of the universe. That's a big deal. I want you to notice not only the context of the story in the first four verses, but I want you also to know the culture. Look at verse number 5. Or verse 4, and he riseth up from supper and he laid his aside his garments and he took a towel and girded himself. And after he poured the water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Now, here the context, but the culture of this time was they would sit on the floor, as I said earlier, and they would kind of recline and prop up on an elbow. And you think about this, their feet would be exposed. They would all be close together. And of course, if someone was close to you with dirty feet, you'd know it. The roads of Palestine, they were very dusty and dirty. It might have rained before, so there was mud all over their feet and uh, dust all over their sandals. And so their feet would be grimy and dirty, and they would need washing. Typically, there would be a servant on the outside of the door with a little basin with water in it. And that servant would wash the feet of those that would enter. Well, in our text, I do not see a servant at the door. I see a basin. I see water. I see some towel there. And Jesus, instead of any other disciple grabbing a towel and grabbing this basin, Jesus himself becomes the servant. He rose from supper. That indicates that they sat down. He laid aside his garment. He put a towel around his waist. He was ready to serve. Look ahead to verse number 6. Then cometh to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Peter's asking Jesus a question. You're you're obviously washing my feet. You're going to do that? Uh, And and look look ahead to verse number 12, if you would. So after he had washed their their feet and had taken uh, his garments... And was set down again. He said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Uh, The obvious answer would be, You washed our feet. And Jesus must have something else in mind because look at what he says in verse 13. Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so 
I am. And if then your Lord and Master have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. Now here's the reason. Verse 15. For I have given you an example. The reason that Jesus, don't miss this, the reason that Jesus is washing the feet of the disciples is not a command. There's some churches that I preach in that believe that this is the third ordinance of uh, the church. They believe that in foot washing, I've preached in those churches, I'm not going to argue with them and fight with them about it. Uh, they know that I'm eternally secure and I preach that. Uh, but, but, but they also want to fit foot washing into the ordinance with the Lord's Supper and baptism. They think we ought to wash feet. I'm thankful that we don't believe that. Amen. Uh, but they do, and they'll have a, and it's a beautiful service, and they, and I know what they're trying to do, and I'm not going to argue with them about it at all. And if, even if you're sitting in here today and you believe that, that's fine. But Jesus said this is not a command. If he would have said this is a command, then we'd be washing feet. He said it, it's an example. There was something greater than just washing feet that he's trying to actually teach. And it's interesting that there are only two times in the whole New Testament that clearly state that we are to follow Christ's example. Right here in our text is one of them. Only two times. The other time is 1 Peter where he relates in suffering. So here we are serving and that's an example of Jesus. But the second time is in suffering. We suffer like Jesus. So Jesus is teaching to serve humbly. And did you notice that he does not make a big announcement? He never stood up and said, Hey, listen up, fellas, look over here. I'm going to demonstrate what humility looks like. That's what a lot of us would do, right? If we were about to wash somebody's feet, we'd want it on Facebook Live. We'd want to tweet about it. We'd want to post it on Instagram. We'd want to snap about it. We'd want to do something and say, look at what I did. I'm the best Christian. No, simply he slipped into a private place by the table. He picked up a towel around his waist and a basin in his hand and he quietly began to move from one man to the next man. And I believe that during this beautiful scene of servanthood and humility. You could have heard a pin drop in that little house. Jesus, God in the flesh, washing the feet of merely man. Here's the third thing that I see in our text. It's the concept. This story continues to grow. Look at verse 6. And then he cometh to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord... Dost thou wash my feet? So, so he comes to Peter. All the other guys, no doubt, probably didn't have a, a... They were probably just mesmerized that Jesus would do it. But Peter, the mouthy one, you ain't washing my feet. It's a, basically, in the Greek, it's a double negative. He's basically saying, God forbid that you wash my feet. Now notice what Jesus says. Jesus answered in verse 7 and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter, what I'm doing, you'll understand. Verse 9, 
Verse 8, Peter said to him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Peter's adamant about it. You're never going to wash my feet. Jesus answered, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. You know what Jesus is saying? To, listen, there is no way that we can fellowship. There is no way that you can say that you are one of my disciples if you don't let me wash your feet. Now notice what This is an interesting part of the story. Don't miss this, by the way. Y'all are doing well, but don't miss this. Simon Peter then says, notice what he says in verse 9. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not only, or not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. So the, the moment that Jesus gets Peter's attention and says, Peter, if you don't let me, you're not one of mine. Don't call yourself a disciple This is something that I'm showing you for future. Peter says, well, that's the case. Wash me all over. Wash me all over. Now, there is the bath that totally cleanses. What do we call that? We call that regeneration. When we get washed over, according to Titus chapter 3, we've been washed by the blood of Christ. We've been cleansed from our sin. That is the washing of uh, our sins away by the blood of Jesus Christ. That happens at salvation. By the way, one time. But then the second bath would be the, the cleanse your feet. That would be one that is needed daily. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, you cannot have sweet communion with Christ and have filthy feet. Some of you have been saved by the grace of God. You've had that first bath. You've got your head washed and your, and your heart washed and all of you got washed at salvation. But you're trying to have a relationship with Jesus Christ with filthy feet. And you cannot. Look at verse number 10, he says this, Jesus saith, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, meaning his whole body, and ye are clean, but not all. Your feet's filthy. For he knew who should betray him, therefore said he, Ye are not all clean. He said, All of you have not taken a bath. There's one of you in here that still stinks. And by the way, Give pastors a break. Y'all think that we're the mean preachers, but Jesus laid it out straight. Only a little audience of 12, and Jesus looks at one and says, you need a bath. And not a bath that I'm about to give you. You need salvation. You belong to the devil. So we see that Peter, you can't have fellowship with me with filthy feet. Communion must be preceded by cleansing. It must be. But then I want to know, I want to show you the cure. Look at verse number 12. The Bible says this, So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so am I. Verse 14, If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. Let's skip down to verse 17. Don't miss this. If you know these things, Jesus is teaching, if ye know these things, happy, blessed, markarios, which means happy you'll be if ye do them. 
Now, we Christians like to put a period, if you know these things, happy are ye. We like to put a period right there and say, oh, I know that, so I guess I'm going to be happy, but Jesus says, no, there's a little bit more, if ye do them. So if you take the example of washing feet and you take that servanthood, that humility, and you get down and you, you drop all your pride and drop all the things that you think you are and you wash the feet of those that even despise you, you'll be happy. You'll be happy. Happiness is not the result of information. Happiness is the result of application. Just because you hear this message and just because you're, you've maybe been enlightened now about some things in chapter 13 does not mean you're going to leave here happy. Oh yeah, now I really know what Jesus was actually doing. No, no, no. You'll be happy when you do them. There's some application involved. There's some things that we must understand. I've basically laid the groundwork. You now understand verses number 1 through verse number 17. You understand that Jesus, the, the God of the universe, He washed the feet of these disciples. So how does that apply to us today? I've got two applications. Y'all know how I preach. You know that I basically lay the groundwork and then I give it. How does that apply The first application is this, and don't miss it. Washing feet means surrendering your privilege to receive a proper response. Washing feet means surrendering your privilege to receive a proper response. See, don't miss this. We tend to wash the feet of those who will wash our feet in return. You have no problem serving as long as there's something in it for me. Oh yeah, pastor, I'll, I'll get in that ministry as long as I enjoy it. I'll, I'll preach in that class as long as, I, as long as I get a good time. I'll go there as long as I get paid. Oh no. See, many Christians will never wash the feet because it does not return the kindness that they believe they deserve. Now think about it. Jesus washed all 12 of these disciples. He washed all their dirty feet that day. And what was their response? Thomas still doubted him. Judas still betrayed him. Peter still denied him. But he washed anyway. Try to explain that to me. Try to say, oh yeah. See, Jesus knew what was in their heart. Jesus knew what they would do. He knew that Judas would betray him. He knew that Thomas would doubt him. And he knew that Peter would deny him. But he said, I love him anyhow. You ever serve somebody knowing there is nothing in this for me? Here's the second thing. Washing feet means surrendering your prerogative or your rights to choose whom you will serve when you serve, and how you serve. See, if you only serve at the feet of convenient things, you will never become a servant. If you only wash the feet of something that excites you, or something that invigorates you, or something that maybe tickles your fancy, or something that gives you a little adrenaline rush, hey, you'll never serve. There's ministries in this church that need help. 
And the reason they're constantly vacant is because people will say, I'll do that, and in two months they fizzle out. Why? It doesn't, it doesn't fix their need for something in return. A room full of kids. We need someone to wash their feet. Oh, kids? Kids? Pastor, I'm not cut out for kids. Who told you that? I realize not everybody can. But, but was it you that said, you can't do kids? Or is it that you just don't want to wash feet? A room full of babies. Oh, Not everybody's cut out for the nursery. But is it because we just don't like spit up on us? Is it that we just don't like it when we have to change a dirty diaper? Is it that we just don't like it when a kid screams and cries and we just can't? Or we just don't get anything out of return? The parking lot filled with cars and we're trying. I apologize. We're, we're trying. We got some plans to make some better accommodations for parking. But I believe we've almost tried to be so accommodating that people are now so fixated on, I'm not stepping in the dirt. This thing ain't paved. This ain't asphalted. We ain't going. Or maybe it's, the and, and folks, I know, listen, I know it's Sunday morning, and, I, and, and here's the deal. I'm going to keep plowing because the last two weeks, we call this, Listen, we think tough preaching is against like sinful stuff. And we'll, sometimes we'll swing from the chandelier saying, yeah, I don't do that. But then you preach on dying to self and humility. That's tough preaching. That's where we're at. I need it. You need it. Hey, we need people that will stand out there and, and try to direct cars. We need folks that will just serve in ministries that doesn't get notoriety, that doesn't get uh, fanfare, it doesn't get the spotlights. You know how I feel about Bible studies. You know how I feel about small groups. But I wonder if there was some person over there that was invalid, that was uh, maybe, uh, uh, maybe they had some problems and, and, and God had revealed it to us that someone needs to serve them. I wonder how I would respond by washing their feet I've had to ask myself that question am I above it as a pastor am I above serving people am I above getting down and rolling my sleeves up and cleaning something that's filthy we seen the example we seen the example and listen by the way did you notice that John never tells us whether Jesus had his feet washed? Nowhere. I, I, I've tried to read this and read it over. There's not even an inkling of a shift in the story where we even think that Jesus may have had his feet washed. But here's what I want to think. I want to think that there was not a dry in that little room. And I want to think that the disciples saw such humility that day that one of them grabbed a basin and they all took turns wiping his feet. And you say, Pastor, why do you think that? Here's why I think that. 
is because every one of those disciples would eventually be martyred except John. Every one of them. They were willing to serve the one who they would die for. What's it come down to? It comes down to humility. Are you willing to serve? A lot of folks will come and say, serve me, pastor. Serve me. Serve me. What can the church do for me? Hey, I don't want to be unkind about this, but we get phone calls and we get people stop by and they'll say, what do y'all have for families? And what do y'all have for, what if we sold, you know, uh, probably not a lot. We just wash a bunch of feet around here. We do have a lot for, for families and kids, but folks, when are we going to say, what do you have for me? What do you have for me? What can y'all do for me? And turn that around. What can I do for others? What can I do for Jesus? Can I wash a foot? Can I wash some feet? Can I get down and humble myself? And can I get down as low? Because you notice you can't wash feet standing up. You've got you to get low and you've got to get down where the dirt is and the grime and you've got to wash feet here and it could be stinky smelly wrinkled knobby feet that you oh I don't know I'll wash my family's feet that's about it no 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 these wasn't family these are disciples these were followers of Christ and Jesus could have easily stuck his feet out and said boys wash my feet I didn't see anybody volunteering but guess what Jesus said for an example I'll wash them Because one day you'll see why I'm doing. Actually, the next day, you'll see it. The day before Jesus dies. The day before, you would have thought Jesus was thinking about some other things before his death. But he was thinking about others. Now, how does that speak to us? Who are you going to serve? We go to restaurants today. We We get served by a waitress. They get our order wrong. What do we do? Ah, I can't believe I ordered three, three or four of these things and you forgot that. That's not really a servant's attitude, is it? Look at all this. I can't believe I deserve this. I deserve it. I get oh. We've let that leak into the church. I expect unsaved people to act that way. I don't expect saved people to act that way. Why? Because we have an example. Now, how does that apply? It applies that we don't get to choose who we serve just to get something in return. 